Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Claire Lerner. She's a child development specialist and practicing clinician with more than 30 years of experience working with children and families in a range of capacities. Her new book is Why Is My Child in Charge? A Roadmap to End Power Struggles, Increase Cooperation, and Find Joy in Parenting Young Children. Welcome, Claire. Thanks for having me. This book makes a rather shocking statement at the beginning, and I just want to lay that out there. This this is a shocker, guys. Young children are not actually out to drive us insane. You went in hard with that statement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're speaking to sort of really the foundation of the book, which is that in my practice with families, as I start to unravel these very messy, challenging scenarios they get into with their kids, that at the heart of it, there are these kind of faulty mindsets that they're filtering their experiences and reactions through. And one of them uh, is this sort of knee-jerk reaction that their child is misbehaving and working their last nerve on purpose. So what are they doing? They're not driving us nuts on purpose? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the unfortunate fact for parents is that there's so much brain science out now, right, that helps us understand that the frontal cortex, you know, the front part of our brains that allows us to have impulse control and think about our feelings and plan our reactions is really in the most rudimentary phases of development in the early years. And so almost always their impulses, their needs, their desires are going to override what they may be able to tell you they know. And I think that's one of the really confusing things, especially when you've got a really verbal, clever two and a half or three-year-old who can tell you, you know, you say, oh, do we hit people? Oh, no, we don't hit people. (laughs) You know, do we throw food in the car? Oh, no, we don't throw food in the car. But there's a robust body of research that shows in the heat of the moment, they are going to be driven by what we think of as their downstairs brain. And so a lot of what you're seeing is sort of, I think of as closing this expectation gap, that if you have higher expectations for your child than they're actually capable of, that delta right there is just a recipe for total frustration and annoyance. So once parents 
understand that their child isn't working their last nerve on purpose and that children are also driven to get what they want. And it's up to us as parents to set those limits. Then they are much better positioned to respond, not harshly, not angrily, which only usually increases the power struggle, but to set those limits lovingly, which I At the end of the day, that's really what I think my work boils down to is helping parents see that the dream could be true. Like you can be a really good limit setter while staying connected and loving with your child. This is something that we explore a lot. And a lot of the people who come to our Facebook group bring this problem, which is my kid is running the house. My kid is out of control and I am spending my whole day yelling at them. I'm using my own, I love the phrase, downstairs brain, because it's kind of then triggering our downstairs brain, right? Like we're in our worst mode. And then I think a lot of the feedback that we hear sometimes in our Facebook community, definitely from the world, is you're not strict enough. You're not yelling enough. You're not, you know, in charge. And the way to get in charge is to come in hotter than the kid. And you're saying that's not the correct approach. Right. Because, you know, when you come in, you know, with that sort of threatening approach, you're just getting your kids haunches up and you're, you know, they're picking up as much on your tone as what you're saying. So, you know, therein lies some other critical mind shifts that, again, like I said, form the foundation of the book. What I'm doing in the book is I'm elucidating these faulty mindsets and then showing parents how making important mind shifts enables them to do exactly what you're talking about, which is to be a loving limit setter. Because I can't tell you how many times a parent has walked into my office and said one of the following. There's a fascist dictator living in my home. (laughs) I used to have a blog called Short Fat Dictator. That was the name of my blog. (laughs) Well, I'm sure it resonated with many. (laughs) Here are some of my favorites. My son at three is the CEO of our family. Right. My child is extorting me. He'll only come to the dinner table if I let him watch Paw Patrol on his iPad. Yeah. And to moms who have a four-year-old, Really feisty, amazing kid, but, you know, very, very persistent. And they've, you know, things have flipped. They've lost control. And what they described was that, you know, we have this lovely little girl. We want her to have agency and efficacy and for her to know her power. All amazing things. But at the point that they came to see me, they said, you know, think she's an equity partner. They, by the way, they were attorneys. So that's, you know, their vernacular. It's their frame of reference. So where things have gotten flipped is that most of the time, what's happening in these scenarios, and let me say that a major part of my work is doing home visits. And that's really where a lot of these insights came from, was that parents would come to me We would problem solve an issue, talk about new strategies, and then when push came to shove in the heat of the moment in their home, everything fell apart. So I started to do home visits in order to really watch how these scenarios unfolded and then would process it with parents at a later date without the child to talk, as you say, Margaret, about what's getting triggered for them. 
a lot of the time it's that their child is making them feel out of control because they won't wash their hands before dinner. They won't stay in their room at bedtime. They won't come to sit at the dinner table. And what they're doing is they're focusing on trying to get their child to change their behavior, Mm. which is what puts the child in charge. So they're bribing, they're cajoling, they're threatening, um, they're offering rewards in hope against hope that one of those tactics is going to get the child to say, you know what, dad, it really is important for my mind and my body (laughs) to get the rest it needs right now. So let's end with the books and the cuddle time and you should leave so I could get myself to sleep. Like that almost never happens. So if you are bribing, let's say, and your child doesn't accept the bribe and they're like, oh, I don't care about another half an hour of TV tomorrow. So I'm still going to run around the house till 11 o'clock at night. They hold all the cards because your strategy is dependent on them getting with the program. So one major mind shift we're working on that changes lives for families and enables them to limit set with love is to come up with a plan where they have an end game. So it's not nagging, cajoling, hating on your child for not getting in the car seat in time for everybody to get to work and school on time. It looks like this. Here's the deal, bud. Totally get it. You're not interested in getting in the car seat. I don't blame you. I'm not asking you to like the rule, but it's my job to help us get to school and work on time. So you have two great choices. You can get into the car seat on your own and be totally in charge. You can hop like a bunny. You can run like Roadrunner or I'll be a helper and I'll help you get into the car seat. You may not like that. It may feel uncomfortable to both of us if I have to pick you up, but those are your two great options. So you see... In that scenario, the parent never has to get angry or frustrated because they have an end game. And so they can stay calm and loving and move on in a positive way with their child. Can I push back on that, though? Because I know somebody's listening like, yeah, and then my kid would be like, I'm not going to, right? I don't want to do it at all and runs back into the house. So then what? I think going into this, like I can understand, like, don't yell, don't hit, be your best self. But the bribing and cajoling, I think you argue in the book, like those are also damaging to your long-term relationship with your child, even though they get you out of trouble in the short term. So I guess my first question is, how do you see bribing and cajoling as also being damaging in the long term? Because what you're doing is you're setting it up as if this is like a barter bargaining system. So then kids understandably start to do things like, what are you going to give me to do that? You know, that's where sort of that feeling of extortion comes from. And, you know, I'm sure you both are very aware from reading a lot of literature on parenting that the goal is really for children to choose to cooperate for an internal sense, right, of efficacy and that it leads to positive things as opposed to expecting a reward for every task that they take on or cooperate with. So, It also puts parents in a position, Amy, of trying to convince their child to agree with the limit. And that's really where things go south because the parent loses control when they're waiting for their child to ultimately agree with the plan. And what if, like you say, Amy, they choose not to? 
you know, you say, if you don't get in the car seat right now, or alternatively, if you get in the car seat, I will give you an extra treat. And they're like, I don't care about the treat. And they keep running around. So that gets to your second question, which in that moment, when you've given them the two great choices, you just move on. You don't take the bait. You don't start getting into a negotiation or a shouting match. You simply say, oh, it looks like you need a helper. You pick them up. It may be at arm's length. They may be kicking and screaming. They may be saying things like, and these are all true stories, I'm going to reach my fist into your throat and pull out your voice box and throw it away. Or you're a toilet head or all sorts of insane things kids say when they're triggered. You ignore all of that. You remind yourself, remember, of the first mind shift. He's not doing this on purpose. He doesn't mean what he says. He's triggered. He's uncomfortable right now with the transition. But I'm not hurting him by helping him make this transition the power struggle is what's hurtful to him in our relationship. So this is sort of what you're now saying to yourself to calm yourself, reminding yourself, right, of what's really going on here. And you pick him up and you strap him in, you ignore all of his vitriol, and you kill him with kindness. It seems to me then that the choices are not just for your kids. The two choices are also for you. The only two things that are going to happen in here are you're going to get in the car seat or I'm going to help you. So you're hitting on another key foundational guiding principle, which is that if you don't have a clear boundary in mind, that is, again, a recipe for disaster. So really, the limits are as important for the parents to keep them focused on what's our larger goal here and how am I going to scaffold this situation in front of me to avoid the power struggle, to have an end game because when I can stay calm and loving because I'm in charge, remember, not in a fascist dictator mode. That's another one of those things that parents get really caught on. They feel like if they're actually giving their child a direction that somehow they're being authoritarian. Kids want clear direction. That's why I would say like 80% of my families, the parents report that the child's a superstar at school, right? The teacher's like, oh, he's so cooperative and he's the first one to help everyone. And he accepts what he can't have, what he wants. And at home, you know, he's a total terror. Part of it is because schools, in order to run a group effectively, it's like a military operation yep. in the most positive way that the kids know exactly what to expect. And it's calming. And that's really what the two great choices that's where the two great choices come in. It's not, if you don't wash your hands now, there's no dinner for you. Well, no parent really intends on depriving their child of food. The child knows it. They're now heady with power and the power struggle takes on a life of its own. In this model, this is what it looks like. Margaret, washing hands, it's a have to. It's just a have to. Totally get that you don't like it. You don't want to do it. I'm not going to try and convince you to like my rule. You've got two great choices. You can find a sink. You can do it yourself. I can help you. That's one great option. The other option is I take a wet wipe. I hold you. I get your hands clean. Those are your two great options. You And then this is my new thing. I say to the child, this is such a big decision. I'm going to give you 30 whole seconds <laughs> to think about what is the best decision for Margaret. You really focus on they do have choices and control. 
but not of the outer limit. It's not a choice whether you're going to wash your hands or you're going to stay in your room at bedtime or you're going to get into a car seat. The choice is how it happens. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And I am going to wash my hands. (laughs) We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and talk about the eight faulty mindsets of parenting. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. (laughs) But all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Okay, we're back. In the book, you lay out eight faulty mindsets of parenting. Can you walk us through those and how we're going to shift those mind shifts? So... The good news is that we've actually covered a lot of them. So hopefully as I go through that... We're already experts. So we'll just have to put a pin in some of them. Right, right, exactly. You could write the book. It's like having a to-do list of stuff you've done already just so you can check it off. You could do the cliff notes. You get to cross it off. (laughs) Right. Okay, so one we've already covered, which is the faulty mindset is my child is misbehaving on purpose. He should be able to accept limits and exhibit greater self-control. We've already gone through that, right? So right. one important point I want to make here, though, this is what a lot of parents say, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are wondering, that sometimes the behavior like looks and is purposeful, right? They like toss a, a toy across the room because you're mad at them because you know they've said it's time for dinner and the toys have to go away. But no child sets out to purposefully 
be harmful or to misbehave. Sometimes they've learned behaviors that actually reach their goal, right? So they've learned that having a huge tantrum in the middle of Target may earn them the unicorn that dad had said they couldn't get, right? But remember, this is, brings us to the next mindset. That's just being strategic, not manipulative. Right. That's in the DNA of children. It's not misbehaving to want something. When they can't have it and they find a strategy that works, that just goes in the win column, mm. right? So if you see your child as being manipulative or misbehaving on purpose, your haunches are going to be up. You're going to respond in a much more triggered, angry, frustrated, punitive way, which we know from tons of research and just from watching families engage in these encounters is way more detrimental to kids and parents mm -hmm. than having a calm, loving, but clear approach, right? So those are two biggies. Mm. Can I just ask what the difference between a kid being strategic and a kid being manipulative? Because it seems important to me, but I'm not sure I quite get it. So what I'm saying is it's a mind shift that they're not being manipulative conveys that your child is, you know, sociopathic and evil <laughs> and doing something to force you mm -hmm. to get you to read 10 more stories or have an, another hour of cuddle time. That's just strategic. That's a child using all the tools in their toolkit to try and get their way. That's the DNA of a child. So once you see that the desire and wanting it and using a tool that works, mm. those are the, right? Isn't that what we're nurturing in kids, right? All of us, you're wanting them to be really strategic to figure out how they're going to do well on that test or how they're going to, you know, do in a job interview later in life or get that promotion. It's our job as the parent to set the limit to show them which strategies will work and which won't, right? So if now I'm with my daughter and she's, you know, oh, mommy, no, 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 one more question. I haven't had enough time with you today. Well, like, you know, the heartstrings are pulled. What kind of mother am I if I set this limit? Well, you're a great mom because if you let things fall off the rails, you're going to end up angry and shouting at her and upset and blaming her for not having your evening that you desperately need and deserve. Yep. Right. Yep. So once you see it as strategic, you can do this. I know, Jess, it's never going to be enough questions. It's never going to be enough time. You always start. And I know lots of folks on your show have probably talked about the importance of validation. And there's a good reason for it. It's calming to the nervous system and it helps kids learn to manage their emotions. So you lean into it. You don't try and convince them that their mind and body need rest. As if, like I said before, the child can say, oh, good point. Okay, please leave, right? <laughs> Great idea, mom. I'm off to bed. Exactly. So you say, it's never going to be enough. I totally get it. Our time is so precious, but that's mommy's rule because it's time for lights out so your mind and body can get the rest it needs and mommy can do her mommy jobs. I love you. I can't wait to see you in the morning. And you, which takes me to the next mind shift, which protest and tantrums are not inherently detrimental to kids. That's just part of the growing process, right? The frustration they feel when they can't have what they want when they want it. But it doesn't mean mm. that just because they don't like a limit, that the limit isn't good for them. Any parent who has done a successful sleep plan will tell you how life-changing it is right. and how much more loving they are as a parent. 
Because instead of dreading bedtime when the other shoe's going to drop and all of a sudden it's like five more minutes and 10 more songs and fix my blanket the perfect way, which is impossible. So an hour in, the blanket still isn't the way the child wants it to be. That's when parents behave in ways that they then feel very contrite and guilty about. So a lot of my work is helping parents avoid acting in a way that is uncomfortable for them. And so that's where you actually need to lean into the limit setting. So what happens in these situations is that exactly what the parent is trying to avoid, which is the meltdown, right? By setting a limit and putting a limit on books or on cuddle time is exactly what happens when parents lose sight of the boundary and don't hold the limit because now it becomes 10 books and, you know, another hour of cuddle time and 20 minutes of figuring out the blankets to be in the perfect position for their child. And that's when things go off the rails because now the child, you know, the parent moves into trigger mode. They start to feel angry and manipulated, right? Mm -hmm. And they start to behave in a way towards their child that ultimately they feel really badly about. There usually becomes a big protracted power struggle. The parent doesn't get the evening that they desperately need and deserve. And the child doesn't get the sleep they need. So once parents start to see that the limits are loving, that it's not like love or limits. These aren't like two bifurcated experiences they're having with their kids, which is often one of the mindsets is that they think they're either loving their kid, connecting, talking, playing, or they're setting a limit and somehow being like, quote unquote, mean to their child. Once they shift that to see that their child is misbehaving on purpose, they're being strategic and that limits are loving and not harmful to kids, they're already in a much better position to set those boundaries, keeps them in charge in a loving way. I think that it's so interesting and it's complicated too. This is a mind shift that has been really difficult for me. And someone said a long time ago on the podcast, boundary seeking behavior, that like your kid is looking for a wall. They're looking for that tight hug of the rule. And it's difficult and challenging because you feel this thing of like, well, my kid needs to behave and I need to make that happen at any cost. This mind shift is, I think, so central to a more peaceful home. Yeah. And actually, that is the perfect segue to the next mind shift, which is, so here's the mindset. I can control and change my child's feelings and behavior. I can make them behave. So here is the most humbling thing that nobody tells you when you get into parenting, which is that you have no control over your child. They are human beings. What comes out of their mouths, what they do with their bodies, the choices they make are completely up to them. The only thing you control is how you respond and how you scaffold the situation, right? So you can't force a child to sleep or pee or poop on the potty or not have a tantrum or get into their car seat. Those are only things they can choose to do. It's how you respond in those moments. So take the example I gave about the car seat, right? Once parents make this mind shift, 
and they get out of trying to control their child, right? Which we've already talked a lot about through the threats, through the bargaining, through the rewards, hoping against hope that the child's finally going to say, oh yeah, you know, it would be a good idea for me to get to school on time. So I'm going to hop into the car seat. Or, oh yeah, I should be doing more edifying things with my mind and my body than watching screens all day. So I'm going to voluntarily turn off the TV. You know, those are very unrealistic expectations. So once you get out of trying to convince your child to get with the program and leave the outcome in their hands, now you can focus on what you control. And that's where I came up with this whole idea of the two great choices, because it enables the parent to control the ultimate outcome of the situation without having to control their child. And so that is one of the most, I would say, foundational of the mindsets that are at play when parents come to me with a challenge is that their all of their energy is getting expended on getting their child to change their mind and make them do something. One of your mindsets is that some parents feel like it's mean to have their child tantrum and not give them what they want, that the tantrums that ensue when my child doesn't get what she wants are bad for her. I haven't really ever thought of it that way. But do you have parents who feel like just your child being in that state is bad and therefore is to be avoided at all costs for the kid's sake? Yeah. So this comes up a lot in my practice. And I will say largely with families who have kids who are big reactors, right? So by temperament, by nature, not something they chose or that their parents created, they feel and experience their experiences in the world very deeply. And therefore, their reactions tend to be much bigger. I think of these kids as like not having a filter. So that sort of everything has a big impact on them. And so they are triggered into stress mode much more quickly and have bigger and more fierce meltdowns. And those meltdowns can be extremely distressing. You know, where like one dad called it like blood curdling screams. I just saw a video. So because of COVID now, a lot of families choose to just send me video as opposed to having a home visit. And I'm able then to see in all its glory how these encounters unfold. And in the literally the video I was watching right before we connected today, there was a little girl, a really, really feisty three and a half year old, super fierce, amazing kid. But their rule is, is that she can have milk with dinner, not before because she tends to fill up on the milk and doesn't eat more quote unquote growing food. So this is, you can see, this is a very good parenting decision. That's a parent's job is to, they do know better. And that's where the limits come in, right? So she is having none of it. And she is completely melting down, you know, like throwing herself on the floor, screaming bloody murder. And to those parents, their knee-jerk reaction is like, this state of emotionality cannot be healthy for my child. So the tendency is then just to give in. To accommodate. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Right. But Once they see that, like, she's just fierce. In this moment, yes, she is distressed that she can't have what she wants. Her downstairs brain has completely taken over. But just because she doesn't like the limit doesn't mean it's not good for her. So once we go through these mind shifts, they're able to do something like the following. I know, Sadie, it's really disappointing to you because you want your milk now milk will be at dinner and you give her space. 
and the storm always passes. And if you're not afraid of it, then you can give your child the space and not do what was happening in this video, which was constant trying to get her to calm down. That's what happens is parents are so triggered by the tantrum that they start to do too much talking and cheerlead or convince or try and make it all better or alternatively get really frustrated. You have to stop tantruming. You have to stop screaming. Well, the child doesn't have to. Like That goes into the category of things you don't control. You can't make your child stop screaming, but you can respond to her in a way that limits it by not adding to her upset and her red zone behavior and only trigger her further. But that can only happen once they have made these very important mind shifts. She's not doing it on purpose. Her downstairs brain has taken over. The distress she's experiencing looks like it's detrimental to her, but over time with your calm, loving presence and not getting angry and increasing her distress, she will ultimately learn to accept that she can't have what she wants when she wants it, which by the way, are the roots of resilience and grit and all those wonderful things that we want kids to have. Okay. I want to put a fine point on that answer. Let's take a break and we'll be right back with Claire Lerner. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use fresh to get $100 off your lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me and use the code fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. 
We're talking to Claire Lerner, the author of Why Is My Child in Charge? And before we were talking about this imaginary Sadie who's having massive meltdowns over her milk. And in presenting these mind shifts, I want to underline for people what you're saying is that this approach of holding these sort of firmer lines and being in charge is eventually going to lead to a shift in this behavior. It's not that then we're going to continue just having this tantrum. So what is it about this shift in behavior that turns off or turns down that downstairs brain in our kids? Well, I think several things. One is that kids, you know, they learn from experience. They're constantly putting two and two together. That's why, you know, if a child says to a parent, you know, I miss you, I haven't had enough time with you, and that earns them another hour of you in their bed or five more songs or stories, like, Remember, they're just, these are really clever kids and they're putting two and two together. And that goes in the win column, like we talked about before. So what's also true is that when the strategy no longer works, they adapt. That's just part of evolution, right? When you bump up and you talked about this earlier, Margaret, that when you bump up against a boundary, that's where the growth and change happens, right? So for example, Mm. another perennial problem, right, is like forcing or trying to get kids to sit at the table and eat breakfast, right? So, you know, you can see what that path looks like. Tons of nagging, cajoling, threatening, you know, you're going to be starving when you get to school if you don't eat, you know, hoping against hope again, where they're in what I call the gray zone, right? They're in that mindset I'm trying to control. I have to make my child eat, right? Once they make the mind shift to say, okay, here's the deal, you know, Gerard, it's our job to give you these great growing foods and to let you know how much time there is for breakfast. You've got two great choices. You can have toast or you can have cereal. And now Gerard is screaming that he needs pancakes. And in this model, what his dads are saying is, totally get it. Pancakes are amazing, but pancakes aren't a choice this morning. Well, I'm going to starve. And now Gerard starts throwing out, I'm not going to eat. You know, this actually clever kid said, I'm going to be mean to everybody at school. They know their parents' triggers, right? What's <laughs> there's a, They know what freaks you out. Totally get you in the jugular. And with these mind shifts and not fearing the tantrum and seeing that giving into the tantrum only begets more of these troubling interactions, these dads were able to say, you know, no problem, Gerard, it's your body. And you'll make the best choice for Gerard. They don't take the bait. They don't start lecturing him about how to be nice to all his friends, because all that does is reinforce that strategy for Gerard. They So in this case, when we worked it through and they stuck with it, this is, I love this. And Gerard sees that, they're not budging. He's like, you know, fine, I'll have cereal. But, you know, of course, he's not going to eat crow, no pun intended. So we have to show them that, like, he's angry about it. But again, seeing this for what it is, the dads were like, oh, here's your cereal, no problem. And they just moved on. There's two things in your book, Claire, that I wanted to underline in this moment when the kid is like, but I'm not going to, and you've made the two choices. There are two things that happened that for me were real mind shifts. 
And the first one is that you can ignore the provocations that the kid is going to do in response, but not the kid. So that Gerard's two dads in this situation, while Gerard is stomping around and they, I won't eat, I don't like toast. You can ignore that, but still say, hey, Gerard, do you think we should go to the zoo this weekend? You don't ice the kid out entirely. So that was another one of these insights I had, again, while watching families in the comfort of their home and how taking that bait was so detrimental to everybody involved and that, you know, what parents had learned to do was you're supposed to ignore that. But what I found was that kids just up the ante to show you how angry they are. So that wasn't working. That's the benefit of being in the trenches is like when push comes to shove. And this is really why I wrote the book is that a lot of times the theory sounds great in theory, but in practice, they backfire. And this was one of those, you know, strategies that backfired. So when you ignore the bait, but stay connected you get less of the amping up. And what you're doing is what every parenting book says, which is connection, 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 right? That's what happens when parents come to me. They're like, we're trying to be connected, but my child is calling me names and hurling vitriol and making threats. And I have to teach him a lesson. And that's where this mind shift was so important that the lesson you're teaching is not taking the bait, is not empowering insane statements like the kid who was going to throw his dad's voice box in the garbage, right? Or make threats like, you know, I'm going to be mean to the babysitter if you go out tonight. It's, you know what, sweetie, I know you don't want us to go out tonight. Totally get it. And it makes perfect sense to us. And we're not trying to convince you to like it. And we can't wait to see you tomorrow. And we know you'll make great choices about how you want to be with Miss Mary. That is one of the best ways to prevent the acting out behavior. And the other thing I just wanted to say, too, is that once the kid complies, you don't then give them a ticker tape parade for sitting nicely in their chair and picking cereal or toast, right? This is a good one. It's important to not give them tons of praise for having done their job as a child, which is to pick something for breakfast. Well, and in addition, Amy, and this is one of these, you know, insane, you know, counterintuitive things for parents is that these kids who draw you into power struggles, by and large, are highly, highly motivated to be in control, often to their own detriment. Like they will give up all sorts of bribes the parents are offering because then they think they're eating crow and they no longer wield the power, you know? And so when they do sort of sidle up to the dinner table because you've stopped nagging and cajoling and you've just set a clear limit that this is dinner, this is when the food is out, this is where our great conversation is, and when the timer goes off, dinner's done, and if you choose not to come, no problem, you can have a big breakfast in the morning, right? That's like, in a nutshell, one of the things I'm working on with parents is, what do you control in this situation? You can't make your child come to the dinner table, and you can't force him to eat, but you could set up a system that scaffolds it for him to make a better decision. So now you've got a kid who's been wielding all this power by refusing to come to the dinner table. And you stick to the limit and he starts to see that his strategy is no longer working. It's not getting him a lot of attention. It's not getting him any rewards. So he starts to come to the table and he picks up a spoon. And now the parent's like, oh, Jason, we're so happy you came to the table. Those kids go running to the hills. 
because they feel like they are caving. And I know this sounds insane. Like parents say to me, what do I have a sociopath? Is that what he's really thinking? But those three, four and five-year-olds who are so motivated by power, if the optics are that they are giving in to what you wanted, the whole thing falls apart. This book has really given me some insights and my kids are not three, four and five. (laughs) I found it really useful. This book is called Why Is My Child in Charge? A Roadmap to End Power Struggles, Increase Cooperation and Find Joy in Parenting Young Children. Claire, tell us where we can find you on the internet. Well, probably the best way is through my website, which is just learnerchilddevelopment.com. That's a segue to pretty much everything. I'm on Instagram at learnerchilddevelopment. If you basically Google learnerchilddevelopment, you'll find many ways to connect with me and my content. Excellent. And we will, of course, link to all of those things in the show notes of this episode. Claire, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It was fun. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not gonna tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.